What the? Mike, did you pick this? What? Hey, welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm Dr. Michael Terrian. And I'm Scott Lieb. We're two friends who are following Jesus into the joys and challenges of everyday life. Hello. Hey. Good morning. Happy New Year. Same to you. Boy, that was quite a sigh. <laughs> it's it's are hard. You, are you tired? Yes, it's hard. It's hard after after a good break to, uh, you know, to there's things that you pile up and you have to get back into it. But um, I saw uh, I'll soldier on. Oh, good for you. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what are you bringing today? Ah, it's my turn. Yeah. Well, I thought it would be good to uh, do a little follow-up podcast from the last one we did. Um, one of the things that I'm, as I listen in on all the, all the scuttlebutt around uh, Pope Francis, I feel like there's, there's a lot of little particular points where there's, there is actually confusion on the part of people about what the church's actual teaching is on certain things. Okay. And I thought it would be worthwhile to just spend a little time trying to bring some clarity to those things, because perhaps in getting some clarity around those things, people might be able to um, listen and hear what Pope Francis is saying in a in a somewhat different light. And uh, and and you know my background here on this, you know, I said this before, but you know my training is as a moral theologian, and um, my you know my graduate school years were spent. Pouring myself into uh, Pope, uh, sorry, Saint Thomas Aquinas's treatise on the moral law, or on the moral life, and uh, you know it. it I, it's it's a really big treatise, mm. and uh, and there's a lot to it. It's a, it's really a beautiful uh, psychology of the moral life, and my experience is that a lot of you know most Catholics don't have like almost any knowledge of some of these things. Oh, that would be me. Yeah. And uh, so maybe, you know, maybe bringing to light some of these distinctions that, that the church makes on the basis of, of uh, Aquinas' sort of framework, okay. maybe that'll bring some clarity to some of the things that I, that I believe Pope Francis is trying to get us to understand. I certainly hope so. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I might fail, but... No, it's good. That's what people, I'm going to try to do. People in general need uh, clarification. Yeah, and uh, so I'm going to be a little bit more in teacher mode today. Oh, ooh, this is good. Now we're getting to see the uh, the real Doctor Michael Terrian come out. It's like the Hulk. You're going to change into <laughs> a beast and just start teaching the crap out of people. All right. So, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, where are we starting? Well, the first thing I want to address because I think it comes up so often is we hear this term, uh, mortal sin, get thrown around a lot. And uh, as I listen in, and this is not just, you know, the average layperson. On, on this particular point, I hear clergy kind of gloss over certain mm. important distinctions all the time. Right. So when the Church is trying to understand what a mortal sin is, we, we have to distinguish, first of all, between the objective character of an action and the subjective culpability of the one who's committing the act. Okay. Okay. And mortal sin, uh, there are certain conditions that have to be met on both sides of that. So first of all, the objective, you know, the, the action in question has to be objectively uh, sinful, and it has to be of grave matter. It has to be something of a serious nature. And, um, and then on the subjective culpability side, the person committing the action has to have knowledge of the sin and the gravity of the sin, and they they have to be able to exercise their will freely in choosing that action. Okay. So the the term mortal sin requires that the action be objective and objectively grave, mm -hmm. and then subjectively it has to be committed with full knowledge and complete consent of the will. Now, on the on the on the on the second half of that. What's really important to understand is that a lot of things can mitigate people's culpability for an action. And so while it is true that lots of people might be committing objectively sinful actions that are grave, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that they're committing a mortal sin. And, that, and that's because there might be some factor that's mitigating it. And those factors would include things like 
uh, a person might be ignorant. Like they don't actually really know. They maybe they 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 know that uh, you know the church. You know, they maybe they heard somewhere along the line that the church says something like this, or or maybe they didn't. But but most 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 often, what we're dealing with is people grow up in an environment yeah. where what they're taught and what they're what they're modeled and what they're shown in their life is something that just stands in 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 opposition to the way God would intend something. So does the church have a big book of uh, mortal sins, like objectively grave sins that somebody is like... Well, the catechism certainly identifies actions which are a grave matter. Okay. Okay, but but whether or not a person is guilty of mortal sin in committing those actions is not something that the church can write about in the catechism because... Those are very difficult things to actually judge. Yes. So it sounds like you have grave sins, but then then at some point it moves into mortal sin because of certain conditions. Because yeah, because certain okay. conditions are met. But it, the confusion sounds like people are just throwing around the word mortal sin without it necessarily. It sounds like more they're just saying it's a grave sin. So I'm just going to call it a mortal sin. Yes. Okay. That's where the confusion is. Okay. Exactly. And that and and so then when the pope is challenging us to engage people who are in objectively sinful lifestyles mm-hmm. if you make the assumption that they're in mortal sin okay then then you're you're assigning a judgment to that person that in fact may not be warranted okay okay and i'm going to talk sense. about judging others in a minute sure sure but th- it's just important that people understand that just because something is grave matter does not mean that the person is necessarily in a state of mortal sin. Dude, I can't tell you how important that is because I it happens all the time, not just among like the media throwing these things out or church, uh, you know, uh, clergy and stuff like that. But I think it just trickles down to regular lay people. Like people always throw the word mortal sin around without understanding those distinctions. Right. So that is really important. Yeah, and I and I want to so looking on the subjective side of things, you know, when it comes to knowledge, knowledge is one thing. And and you know, again, how how much does a person really understand? Like a person might understand that the church teaches that this is sinful, but not understand the gravity of the sin. Sure. Take for example masturbation. Might I've heard somewhere along the line, you know, you grow up in a in a kind of quasi Catholic or quasi Christian environment, and you might have heard that masturbation is wrong, but you might not realize the gravity of that action. Okay. Okay. So if you don't, you know, so if you kind of have a somewhat, you know, casual thing, or let's say on the on on the other side, let's say there's it's not it's a lack of voluntariness on the part of the will. Let's say in the same case let's talk about masturbation let's say that you were exposed to something that was inappropriate when you were like 7 or 8 years old mm-hmm. and you 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 started you know uh, touching yourself in inappropriate ways and as the years go on you develop this habit yeah. right by the time you come to maybe the full understanding of what's going on you might not have the interior freedom to actually avoid the sin so because you, you, you're dealing now with psychological things, you're dealing with deeply habituated patterns of behavior, which which de facto, that is, in point of fact, diminish your your yeah. will's ability to actually act voluntarily and act freely. Which is which is why, in order to you know to to heal that sinful problem, it, it's a process. Like it yeah. takes time. And and it's a journey of transformation in a person's life. You don't just flip a switch and say, "Oh, I'm going to stop doing that." Okay, so you know, and and where we tend to get stuck in the church is around sexual sins. I mean, this is where you know things <laughs> yeah. involving sexuality, whether it's contraception, whether it's divorce and remarriage, whether it's homosexuality, it's transgenderism, whatever. Yeah. This is the the arena in which. So when you when you when you when you approach a particular act, and you and you give due attention to the complexity. The psychological, the mental, the emotional complexity, the cultural, the environmental, the familial complexity of those actions. Like they don't, these actions don't occur in a vacuum. Sure. So when you when you take into consideration those things, in our environment today, the the probability of a person being morally responsible for a mortal sin is is greatly diminished in our times. Yeah. It's terrible that that's the case. Yeah. Because because the other thing I want to say about this 
is that even though you might not be subjectively culpable for something that's, you know, like you don't bear the guilt, you know, for it, the disordered nature of those actions is still going to harm you. Sure. So you, you're not like, if you're fornicating with your girlfriend and you honestly think that you're doing a good thing because you're being monogamous, right? Right. And, and you have no idea that fornication is, a, is a, a really bad idea and really sinful. You don't know that. You're still going to be adversely affected by that pattern of behavior because it's going to, it's going to form within you yeah. an attachment to something that by and in and of itself is going gonna, is gonna to be harmful to you. It's going to be disordered. It's so it'll have an effect on your soul even yeah. if you're not consciously aware of it. Yeah, so you can become... Without much culpability to you personally, you can become a very messed up person, sure. and that's the that's part of the tragedy of sin is that, you know, when something is disordered, it's disordered, and and it can and, and it can do harm to you. Okay, so so I think that one of the things that 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 Pope Francis is trying to draw our attention to is the fact that we are in a time when we're dealing with a lot of people who are whose lives are really messed up because their lives are wrapped up around a lot of objectively disordered and broken things. Yeah. And so the Pope Francis is always affirming the church's doctrinal teaching but always challenging us to say we cannot ignore the fact that people's culpability for these actions might be so greatly reduced that we need to be more discerning about in fact how we engage these people. Yeah, because a lot of people are doing things, and they don't, they don't have any idea that what they're doing is, you know, seriously offensive to the moral law sure. or whatever. Sure. So, so the question then becomes, and we'll look at this. I, I'll look at this in a, later on because I've I've got this sort of punch list. But, but how we engage people in that situation versus a person who knows the church's teaching is in full command of their faculties. And is blatantly, yeah, snubbing their nose at God. Right. That's a different type of situation right. and a different type of person that you would handle differently uh, in the context of the life of the church. Can I just interject real quick? <laughs> sure. Um, you're saying this, and this is just the first part. But as a person, as a lay person, no degrees, you know, just trying, trying to grow and be the best Catholic that I can be. I, I mean. I can honestly say that for a long time in my life, I was that person who just sort of looked at somebody, looked at what they were doing, and judged the severity of them, you know, judged kind of their soul, because I saw them doing something wrong that I knew to be wrong, and without without considering the circumstances, their past, their whatever it might be in their life— to just have a very harsh judgment of that person. And um, I think as I grow, as I'm growing and growing in knowledge and wisdom and all this stuff, um, those little subtleties, I think, have, have really flipped things on its head for me. Like to, to have more compassion, to have more understanding, to have more patience with people because... Our lives are not so like A B C D easy linear. It's not like that. Yeah, our so, li our life is not tidy. And some people, yeah. some some people are very afraid of that because they want things to be super easy to judge: right, wrong, bad, good, blah blah blah. And not that there aren't good and bad things, but so anyway, I just want to say that because, I mean, it's good for people to reflect on that yeah. alone. Well, and and I'll be honest with you. I, I would I, I can say a very similar thing about myself, even despite the fact that I understood this distinction, in the way in which I lived out my faith on a personal level in my relationships with other people, whether I knew them or didn't know them, I oftentimes violated that distinction in my own life because because I didn't sufficiently appreciate the complexity in the context within out of which people were acting. Yeah. And and in fact, what changed that for me was the more I began to reflect on my own sinful nature, my you know, my sinful life and sure. behaviors and actions and whatnot, and began to began to love myself actually 
better as I reflected back on my life and realized, you know, a lot of things were very muddy and very unclear for me. Sure. And and I made a lot of decisions that were half-baked or spur of the moment, you know, fit a passion, uh, whatever. I mean, and, yeah. and not always, not always, I'm not just talking about sex. I mean, sometimes, you know, anger, you know, people... Yeah, I, I dealt with a really bad temper, and a lot of times I, I went to bad places in my mind towards people because of anger. Yeah, And, um, you know, and, and yet the more I've delved into the underlying roots of where all that came from, it became easier for me to be actually more compassionate towards myself and yeah. actually more committed to a transformative journey of yes. I've got to deal with this partially because I'm not living in the truth not just the truth about the way I was acting, but I'm not living in the truth of God's love for me. Like, in other words, if I really believe in God's love for me, I've got to allow that love to soften me and, and transform my heart. So, you know, it, it's that distinction that the church makes from a pastoral standpoint is mission critical. And I, and I dare say that the problem is in the church is that we're divided between a kind of left-leaning faction in the church that wants to gloss over the objective character right. of sin yeah. and make everything okay, and a right-leaning faction of the church that wants to disregard the subjective culpability of the people committing the yeah. action. Yeah. And I think Pope Francis is saying both of those are wrong. Well, he's trying to be in the elevated center with Jesus, I would yeah. say, because for me, um, the scary part of what we're talking about right now, at least at that time in my life, was that it almost sounds to people like you're trying to excuse or justify people's sins or lessen right. lessen it. But really what you're talking about is the reality of human life and the the well, it, sin it, is sin, right? I mean we can we can say yeah. that. But but uh the again, I want to go back to it. Like the the idea of mercy and compassion like i lived in a shame pit during that time of my life and i it's like i wanted to project that onto other people yeah yeah well and i mean that's you know i think the other thing two things i would say is there there are people right now in the church that have so much suspicion towards pope francis that despite all of his overtures to affirm the the objective character of certain actions they believe and impute to him an intention of actually um, clandestinely trying to slip in a change through the back door. And, and, and quite frankly, I think that's a judgment of his character. That's un, that's, it's not even that it's not warranted. We're not given permission by God to make that judgment. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about judgment in a, in a second as the next thing Ooh, I want to talk about. segue. Yeah, but not yet, because I want to just really quick say, <laughs> yeah. respond to what you're saying, that projection issue. Because what I've noticed, too, and I've noticed it first in myself, and once I saw it in myself, I began seeing it in everybody. And not to, to say that I'm trying to project myself on other people, but I just see this as a pattern of human behavior, that the harder that we crusade against the demons, the outer darkness, mm -hmm. the more I became aware of the fact that I was not contending against the demons within myself. So, it, and I think this is an important thing. Like, this is why Jesus says... Stop looking at the log, you know, the splinter in your neighbor's eye until you pull the log out of your own. Yeah. And and the reason for that is because so often the the psychology of that reality is that when we're afraid to 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 confront the darkness within our own hearts, we can feel like we're dealing with it by doing, you know, going to war against the darkness oh, out in the world. So we become yes. the crusaders of all the impurities and all the all the bad stuff out there in the world. And meanwhile, we're, we're violating Jesus' own commandment about judging other people. Right. And secondly, we're not doing the real work of contending with the, the wounds and the brokenness well, that's and the disorder that of ourselves. Well, that's really hard. It is hard. <laughs> and, and I mean, I avoided it for super a long time in my life. Yeah, and, 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 I, and, I, and I do. I speak from my own experience. For years, that's what I did. Yeah. But now that I, you know, like... I, I um, you know, to be honest with you, it's, it, it, it's through the experience of teaching other people that I came to be convicted of my own, because I was like, like, I'm teaching things that I know are true, and I'm not living up to those things. Yeah. 
and I can get so righteously indignant at what goes yeah. on in other people, and yet I I was not righteously indignant at what was going on inside of myself. And until I came to the realizations, like Lord, I can't, I can't be an, a worthy representative of you if I can't model your mercy towards others, and at the same time be painfully honest, stand before you sure. with all the stuff that's just wrecked inside of me, and saying, "I need you." Yeah, I, I need you. I need you in every single corner of my soul, and I need to pay attention to what you need to do in me. Instead of always paying attention to what I think you need to be doing in everybody else, yeah, and and all the saints teach us that that's the proper disposition, like that that's the disposition in the spiritual life that yeah. we're supposed to assume, right? So right. I yeah. want to, I know you want to say something, and then we can go on to the the issue of judging. Yeah, the last part, the last thing I was going to say is that that transformation for myself, um, it, first of all, freedom is a word I would describe, like. The, even though it was super difficult to start dealing with the stuff that was that was it motivating me and inside me that was, you know, nope, not a lot of peace, not a lot of um, uh, yeah, peace, things like that. Like I didn't feel settled, and uh, whenever I started doing that and uh, accepting the Lord's forgive, you know, like all that stuff, it, the objective nature of my sin, and letting the Lord's mercy in to kind of. It's, it was like a whole different lens was over my eyes in terms of how I saw other people. Um, definitely less judgy, um, more compassionate, more merciful. And, and that just started to bring peace into every other aspect of my life, like into my marriage, into my friend relationships. So it, it my gosh, it's so important to understand that. And anyway, yeah. that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, that was, that's, that's great. Um, and not, not an acceptance. That's the thing. Yeah. I, I, sometimes we get into these, like these kind of discussions out there is like, well, if you're taught like mercy, 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 but where's the, you know, where's the judgment or where's the justice or the, where's the truth? And it's, it's yeah. not that it's, yeah. Yeah, it well, is a balance. It's a very well, fine balance. I think but, it comes back to making sure that we always distinguish between the objective character of an yes, action and the perfect. subjective culpability of the person. Yes. So in my relationships, I have to attend to both things. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go on to judging. Let's go. Okay. Jesus is very clear <laughs> that we are not to judge other people. I mean, he couldn't be more clear about it um, in that it's a very serious sin. It's a grave sin to judge another person. And he, and he, he very clearly states that we're, we are not to to render judgments of other people. Okay, however, what does he mean by that? Yeah. Because, because we are given a conscience, and therefore it, it is true, and this is part of the church's teaching, that we do have to judge the ob objective character of actions. So Jesus is not telling us that we aren't to make moral judgments about what is good and what is evil. Right. So I can look at a person who's living a homosexual lifestyle, and, and I can say that is objectively disordered and wrong and not in accord with God's plan. Okay, I can do—not I not only can I do that, I should do that. I, I'm obligated to do that for myself and just in the world. I mean, I have a conscience. I have reason. I'm given these faculties. And so I'm going to— I, I have to actually, to be a mature disciple, be able to discern the difference between good and evil yeah. in its objective reality. But what Jesus clearly forbids us from ever doing is judging the subjective culpability of the individual. And, and that go, that's twofold. Not only am I never supposed to speculate about the state of a person's soul, because I simply cannot and do not know. Okay? I, I cannot and I do not know. Mm -hmm. Okay. In fact, in a lot of cases, the individual themselves don't know. Right. Okay. So, so it's not only that that I, you know, that I that I'm not permitted to judge the subjective culpability of another person. So I should never throw around the language of mortal sin to a particular person or individual. Okay. Yeah. But not only that, but even if a person themselves admits that what they have done, they have done, and they, they are, like, let's say they're repentant, and they are subjectively 
owning and taking responsibility for having committed a mortal sin, I still can't judge them. Mm. And why? Because I have to see in them my own weakness. Jesus, Jesus shows us that we, we, we show mercy towards people precisely because if we are sufficiently mature and we have enough self-knowledge and self-awareness, right, uh, that I can't hold the other person in contempt because of their weakness, even a weakness that is th- for which they're fully responsible. Mm. Okay, now that doesn't mean that I am not going to call the person to some accountability. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to teach the person maybe what what they need to know in order to get their life back on track. Mm-hmm. But what has to happen in my heart is i have to i have to sincerely and genuinely love the person in all of their weakness and all of their vulnerability all of their fragility even in the midst of their failure because the truth is is it can't be very helpful to that person as brother you know or sister in the case of a woman um if if i can't identify in that way with them okay mm-hmm. yeah. why do you think jesus came here and and associated himself and even identified himself with sinners. It, it's precisely because there is a profound expression of the Father's heart in that. That God knows our weakness way better than we know it. And he still chooses to love us. He cho- still chooses to to give his love and his mercy to us. Because quite frankly, it's 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 only that love and it's only that mercy that's going to restore us yeah. to the life that he desires for us. Yeah. So, so when it comes to the subjective culpability of a person, uh, Jesus simply doesn't give us the permission to render that judgment. And here's why, and then I'll, you know, I'll stop here on this point, but the reason why I think it's so important is, is because I think from a pastoral standpoint, I think Christians are notoriously horrible at actually conforming to Jesus' example and teaching on that. <laughs> like, we are really good at creating relationships, or, you know, you called, you, you talked about the, the, the shame pit. Yeah. Like, we are really good at creating those kind of environments because in the name of some sort of self-righteous indignation, we go to the place of judgment in our hearts about the subjective culpability of people's lives. Yeah. And the thing that we have to realize is that we are never going to do anybody any service or any help if that's where our hearts are in relationship to their brokenness. Yeah. So that's, you know, that to me is the pastoral issue. So, so it, yeah, a, a quick thought that's going through my head about this is that the the words head and heart are coming to mind. And my own story is that, um, you know, my, my whole background of religious education and stuff like that was like, information 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 being taught you know about who who jesus was as a person his the history all that stuff i was never ever encouraged or given tools right to go internally into my own heart to do the reflection of you know where do I stand? Like, where do I stand with God? What's my relationship with God? Like, what's my personal, you know, like connection to him? And, you know, I, it, what you're saying to me is like, there's a lot of people that don't know themselves. <laughs> they don't, they don't know themselves well enough. They don't, they don't have that. Like they've not taken the time. And I'm only saying this because one, it was me and I feel like I'm a, I'm a I'm a fairly you know standard example of most people, but that was me. I didn't know myself well enough. I didn't do enough personal reflection to understand how like you know you're talking about you judging people and and the way that you counteract that is by seeing yourself in them. Like your your kind of the reality of your your broken nature, your yeah, wounds, I, I, your... Always, I always say to myself, even if it's a sin that I haven't committed, sure, you know, that would be me were it not for. But if you don't spend time, but if you don't spend the time necessary in prayer, reflecting on your own heart, the state of your own heart, 
and knowing your heart well. How would you ever yeah. be able to do that? Yeah, you, well, you can't. And and I think the other thing too is that w- what you said is like you know some people are just so, it's like are so broken that no, we all are. Mm-hmm. Like the people that come to the realization of how weak and how broken they are are the people who don't condemn other people. Those are the people that don't are aren't constantly standing as the grand inquisitors over other people's lives. Yeah, they're not the people that are trying to always be everyone else's conscience. Yeah, that's a mature disciple. Yeah. And and I and unfortunately again I see I see underdevelopment in the church on the left because there's an inability a certain blindness towards the objective character of certain actions and there's also a certain you know weakness on the part of the right with an inability to to um, to properly engage the subjective lived reality and experience yeah. of the sinner yeah and. Jesus is always going to challenge us, um, you know, to uh, make the proper judgment about the nature of actions discerningly, mm-hmm. while at the same time bearing to one another the heart of a loving and merciful Father who has sent Jesus to die for our sins. Yeah, you know, and and so you know, I want to, if it's okay, I, I want to read a statement. I love it. Yes. Because uh, this is something Drum roll, this please. is something that I, I came across years ago that really convicted me, and it and it was I was reading through the dialogues of Saint Catherine. Okay. So this statement I'm going to read: If you believe in the authenticity of Catherine's dialogues with the Heavenly Father, okay. If you believe in that, then these are words that come directly from the Father to Saint, Saint Catherine. Catherine. This is what she says, and okay. it's it's about how to engage sinners. Okay. He says, even if your neighbor's sins are clearly shown to your spirit, not just once or twice, but many times, you should still not confront them with specific sins. Hmm. That That's a fascinating <laughs> statement. <laughs> yeah. Rather, when they come to visit you, you should correct their bad habits in a general way and lovingly and kindly plant the virtues in their place, adding severity to your kindness when you must. So let, and and, and that's kind of a, I I kind of broke off the sentence there and I'm jumping to another point in Mm -hmm. the question. So you add add severity to your kindness when you must, okay? But notice the relational context of that. Yeah. You know, when they come to visit you, like there's there's a context there. Okay, then he goes on. So let silence or a holy argument for virtue be in your mouth to discourage vice. So in other words, talk about the good life that Mm. we're called to live. Don't laser zero in on the person's particular faults. The shame pit. Yes. (laughs) And when you think you discern vice in others, put it on your own back as well as theirs. That's what I was trying to talk about earlier. Acting always with true humility. Then, if the vice is truly there, okay, in other words, don't assume that you know the vice is there, because mm. it might not be there the way you think it might be there. Sure. So, then, if the vice is there, truly there, such people will correct their ways all the sooner, seeing themselves so gently understood. Hmm. I will then, and so should you, you and my other servants, that you concentrate on coming to know yourselves perfectly, so that you may more perfectly know my goodness to you. Leave this and every kind of judgment to me, because it is my prerogative, not yours. Give up judgment, which belongs to me, and take up compassion with hunger for my honor and the salvation of souls. When I read that statement, I I was cut to the heart because I realized, you know, it— this is why it, it why it had that effect on me. You read the Gospels, right? And you're like, am I reading the Gospels correctly? Like, am mm. I sure that Jesus is right. telling me that I'm not supposed to judge another person? Maybe I'm just not reading that correctly. Sure. But when, through a private revelation that's been authenticated by the Church, you hear the voice of the Father himself clarifying to Catherine, a doc, spiritual doctor of the Church, how we are to regard the sin of another person, 
how we're supposed to engage them, right? It leaves me utterly speechless. Mm. Like, well, Lord, I have no other way to go but the way that you have shown me. If I want to call myself your disciple, then I have to acknowledge and recognize that you are my master. And therefore, I'm obligated to do the very best I can to imitate the example that you've set. Yeah. Now, coming back to Pope Francis, like, when I read Pope Francis, that's what I hear him saying. I hear him challenging us to get this other part of the church's teaching more firmly established in the pastoral life of the church, that we have put so much emphasis on the clarification of doctrine, on the objective side of sin. In fact, sometimes I think he's like, you know, do I really need to state it again? I mean, we have a catechism. We have encyclicals coming out of our (laughs) ears. We have stated so many times and with such clarity what the church's teaching is. But what about this other thing? What about this other side of the equation? How do we handle the people that are stuck in these places? And where I feel challenged and convicted by Francis is he's saying, we as a church have got to do not just better, we have to do way better. Way better. Because what you just read, what I'm thinking while you read that was, especially the part about to, to know yourself completely, you know, I'm not sure that I know of any uh, parish endeavor, uh, you know, program, whatever you want to call it, that that gives people incredible tools to to do that. It's it's almost like I don't. It's almost like we've been ignoring that kind of aspect of uh, parish life, and and you know, I mean, that's a whole aside, and I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But well, that's but a, it's a formation. The church issue. does need to do way more. Yeah. Well, I mean. We need to do a better job of forming our people. There's no question about yeah. that. We we just don't do a good job of the integral formation, like the formation of the heart, the formation of the emotional life, the yeah. formation of our character, and, and so on. But we also, as a church, and I think that Pope Francis uses a lot of imagery around the church as a mother, right? How the church positions herself in relationship to the rest of the world is a big part of what Vatican II was trying to, yeah. was trying to address. And, and this gets into the, the third thing that I wanted to talk about, which is how do we understand the relationship between mercy and sin? I've, I've brought this up before, but I want to drill into it because, because the Father to Catherine tells us, you know, how we should understand that. Mm. And, and what he basically says to us is, like, it's not theologically correct to assume that the mercy of God is a response— is the, the 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 primary response to our repentance. In other words, it's my job to use the faculties that I have to figure out that I'm a hot mess, and then I've got to decide, you know, yeah. to to get my my life in order, right? And and then and then I will go to the Lord. And then the Lord will respond to my repentance with mercy. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not saying that that can't happen. Like, of course that can happen. That happens. Like, people right. do do that. Okay, but if we step back and say, and we consider like the the larger theological picture, like like Paul saying, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right. The whole premise of salvation history, the entire premise of the incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world, is that we cannot get our house in order. We cannot get ourselves in order without coming to know God's mm. own heart. Mm-hmm. We can't. Right. So there is a primacy and an initiative that we talked about last time in God's love and mercy in our lives. And if we're honest we can all realize that in our own life, our conversions were always precipitated by some display, some expression of God's love or mercy in our lives mm-hmm. that softened our hearts, and the Father speaks about that in that passage, that will soften our hearts and lead us to conversion. And so it, it, the relationship between mercy and sin is that God, as an expression of his divine love, 
has a profound tenderness towards our weakness. It's not like our sin is a surprise to him. I think sometimes people think, people are like, you know, God all of a sudden said, oh my gosh, I didn't plan for that. Like, wait, you know, I made you perfect and I created you in the perfect conditions. And like, I just didn't see that coming. Like, you shocked me and surprised me by <laughs> sinning. Yeah. No, it's like from the very beginning, God knew how corruptible we were and how possible sin was to the human reality. And he already had a plan in place. And that plan was to, was to express in overtures of love his plan to redeem us, mm. which is my love and my mercy goes before you. My love is not conditioned on your behavior. It's not conditioned on some intrinsic value that you are somehow going to display to me. The reason you exist at all is because I love you. And I know that you're capable of sin. And I know that you're, you, you are more likely to make a complete mess of the life I've given you than you are not to. And I still love you. Mm. And this is, I think, what Jesus shows us in the, the story of the prodigal son. You know, it's not like the, you know, the, the, the father let the son go. And he hoped the, fa- the son would return. And when the son returned, the, the, the father affirmed a dignity that the son could not perceive in himself. I just came back to be your servant, not your son anymore. I don't mm. think I'm worthy of being your son. Mm. And the father says, no, you're still my son, and I still love you, and I'm going to throw a party for you because I'm so happy, you know. In fact, I, I left the 99 who seem okay to me to go look for you and to try to bring you back. So the point is is that it's the only hope that we have of, of finding the life that God wants for us, the only hope we have is the fact that God's mercy and love precedes us. It goes before us. It's the very reason why I will convert. Mm. When I come to know that love, that's what's going to soften my heart. If my heart can be softened, that's what's going to soften my heart. Not harsh judgments, not your condemnation, not your lording it over me and being my grand inquisitor. That's not most likely going to convert my heart. When you can show me that you get me and you understand the mess I've made and you still choose to love me, I might, at that moment, believe that I can be redeemed. I mm. might. Yeah. I might not. Right. I right. might still despair, but that's my greatest hope. And that, it, I mean, that mm. is what Jesus modeled for us. It's what he taught us. And so <laughs> from a pastoral standpoint, we can't lead with legislation. We have to lead with God's mercy. There will come a time that we can teach the sinner right from wrong, give him the proper catechesis, give him the correct doctrine. But if the church is limping right now, it's not limping for a lack of clarity around the church's teaching because we've had almost 60 years of clear teaching since Vatican II. Mm -hmm. Where we're limping is that the pastoral maternal heart of Mother Church is not evident to the world. It's not evident to people. Well, it's almost because what you're saying is that it it's a compartmentalization, I think, in a lot, you know, maybe in a lot of people of like, well, let God be the, the merciful person, you know, like and do whatever he needs to do. But right here in my own, you know, like backyard, I don't want gay people living next to me. You know what I mean? Like it's it's almost this... That's God's work, you know. That that's way too difficult. I just, I'm just gonna. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not. In other words, obviously the the greatest goal is to that we're like mini gods in a in a sense of like taking on those qualities and and leading uh, in the same way, leading with mercy and um, while understanding, you know, like all the stuff you're talking about. But that's. I just feel like, um, yeah, it's that it's so incredibly. I think a lot of people are like, that's just too, it's too hard. In in a way, it is really hard to do that, especially if you don't have. This is going back to the whole like, if you don't have that heart softening relationship with God in the first place. At, but you, but you're a faithful Catholic, and you're going to church every Sunday, and you're doing all quote unquote doing all the things you're supposed to do. 
that kind of deeply spiritual kind of work, you don't, you know, I'm just saying because this is, this is my, it's my story. All of this is my story. Like, God, let God do that. Like, let God be the merciful guy. Let God, let God judge this person the way he wants to. But I'm going to, I'm going to compartment. I'm going to shut myself off from that and kind of just have Scott's version of God in Scott's life, you know, which, which oftentimes was a very distorted, very Scott-centered, you know, way of living. And, and it sucked when I look back. I'm like, there's so much of that that brought uh, so much, uh, so much garbage in my life. And um, so, anyway, I'm just, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I am right there with you. Yeah. I mean, the only reason why I feel like I can actually speak somewhat intelligently about these things is unlike me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, you, you're. Very, oh, you didn't. Okay. I, right, that's yeah. not what I meant. You're very articulate. <laughs> No, I, I, I'm saying it's from my from my own experience and reflecting on my own experience of doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, and realizing and being convicted in my own heart that it's like, you know, uh, the, the, there was, you know, there, the Lord was displeased with, with that because I wasn't helpful. I wasn't, I wasn't actually aligned with what he was really trying to yeah. do because it wasn't kind of like, I wasn't aligning my life with his modality or his way of engaging you know, I was standing off at a distance in condemnation of my neighbor. If I was honest with myself, I could tell myself I wasn't really doing that, sure. but I was, right. you know. You know, and that's that's where it's like, you know, but here's the question that always comes up. It's like, well, what about the message of repentance? What about the message of repentance? And yeah. I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. That's the next thing I want to talk about is is sort of like, you know, where does, what's the relationship between mercy and justice? And what do we do about fraternal correction? And again, going back to that quotation, you know, there is a there is a time and a place sometimes to be severe, you know. And, uh, you know, I think you and I as friends, we have, we know what that means because we've been that for each other. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and and I think that, you know, there's there's times in which, you know, there's something I see in you or you see something in me and we kind of hint around it. We kind of drop little suggestions. We kind of use the all-inclusive we. But there comes a point <laughs> when you say, hey— I'm seeing this, and you got to You need to do something about it. But it and and you 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 and I have said this to each other all the time. Why do we have permission to do that for each other? Why why? I mean, well, that's a real question to you. Oh, it's a real question. Yeah. Why do we have permission to do that for each other? Well, because uh, we've. I mean, I would say we've built a relationship that is uh, foundationally built on trust. Like I trust that when you say something to me or when you kind of point out something that it's coming from a place of like love in the sense that you want the best for me like you want you want me to be the best person I can be and vice versa so I I mean that's the short answer I would say yeah well yeah I would that that is it and 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 you know that it comes from a place of love um, and so you can hear the hard truth so you know when it comes to fraternal correction, it's it's uh, the the context of the relationship with the, we have with people matters because at the end of the day, what we really want to do is be able to soften people's hearts and and get them to actually have a conversion experience, a transformation. Yeah, and that's delicate work. Well, and I would also say that yeah, it is delicate in the sense of I don't want people to be under the impression that if they do all these things perfectly, perfectly build a relationship, build a trust, and then lead in at some point to like a discussion of, you know, the harder kind of challenges and truths, that that person might walk away. Like they they might totally reject you. And that hurts. And that's a reality. It doesn't always work perfectly. You know, that because you can do it. All you can control is how you on your side approach it. But you can't control how somebody receives it. And right. that's the hard part. And I think that's why people avoid it a lot of times because they don't want to get hurt. They yeah. don't want to face that that possibility. Yeah, right. They don't want to like harm the relationship. But but even like, you know, I, I you know, but what about, for example, the public side of this in terms of the church's, you know, mission to proclaim the truth to all, you know? Well, that's where when the church teaches about the objective character of certain actions, as Pope Francis does in this document. Yeah. Okay. 
that is what she's doing. That is a call to repentance. We, we, we have reason, you know, a person who, who, one thing that hasn't been come up in the conversation is how convicted people who believe that homosexuality should be okay and that gay marriage should be accepted by the church, they didn't get what they want. That right. document does not concede that ground. And so that's, that's not a proclamation of the truth. That's not a call to conversion. That's not putting right in the lap of an individual who thinks that way. Well, maybe I need to reconsider. Hmm. Like, nobody's talking about that. But in fact, it's right there. It's right at the very beginning of the document, in fact. Yeah. So it, it's like that's how the church proclaims the truth by addressing the objective character of the, of the, of the, of the act. But the church does not recommend that manner of doing things when it comes to addressing the individual person and their subjective culpability. There's a different strategy, and that's where the images of the field hospital, the idea of the maternal heart of the church, yeah. you know, this kind of language and imagery that the Pope uses is trying to address, but how do we handle the particular person that's right in front of us? You know, and 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 this gets into this other distinction I want to talk about, which is the distinction between mercy and justice. Because, you know, if 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 it's true that that the way in which Jesus, or I should say the way the Father has instructed us to address the problem of human sin is the example and teaching of Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Okay. In other words, Jesus calls us to uh bring the mercy of the Father into contact with real people. And then within the context of that relationship, you can then call people to repentance and call people to make a change of their life. And we have examples of that in the gospel. Mm. Okay? If, that's, if that's the model that we have, then, then it seems to me that justice, the standard of justice that God gives us is mercy itself that mercy becomes the new standard of justice. And what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus says, you know, the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. And he, and he speaks in other places about being merciful towards other people and not condemning them. Okay, so what that means is, is that if I choose to mate out justice in relationship to other people's sins, then God is going to simply mate out justice in relationship to my sins. Mm-hmm. But if I mate out mercy to other people in relationship to their sins, then God is going to show me mercy yeah, in yeah. regard to my sins. Yeah. And that, that, that means that mercy becomes the new standard of justice in the kingdom of heaven. And at the end, when all of us stand before God, God will be the judge, but, but we won't. Yeah. He will. Yeah. So it, it, the, 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 the challenge of that, of course, is that, you know, and this is, again, a place where I, I struggled. It's like, do I really believe that being merciful to another person holds out any hope of changing that person's heart and getting him to change their life? Mm, well, right. my experience in life has been that when I've gone toe-to-toe with people, you know, and tried to, in a sense, uh, defend the faith and, and, and try, to, try to declare the truths of the church as a strategy mm, for yeah, changing hearts, yeah. all I ever did was harden their hearts and push them further away. It didn't work, actually. Right. But when I started coming alongside people and showing some level of understanding and mercy in relationship to their brokenness and woundedness, what I have found pretty consistently is people open up their inner life to you. Yeah. And in the process of being able to love them in that place, they start wanting to change their life. Yeah. So what I've learned in that is that the best way to convert a heart is to love a person. Yeah. Uh, love a person, especially in their most broken places. Yeah, uh, you know, of course, I'm I, I've I'm reaching that place of understanding in in my own in my own journey and my own growth of faith. Um, but um, I would say that the hard part, the chat for me, the challenge hearing that is always. I think people get squeamish and a little nervous and worried whenever they hear lead with mercy because what they what the filter is acceptance or you know um celebration of things or you know um validation 
of things. I just feel like that's where people's brains always go. Like it's, well, if you're telling me, okay, if I'm supposed to lead with mercy, then this person's just going to think that I'm okay with everything that they're doing. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and I, I think there is, there is a, a tremendous fear there. And, and that gets into what we talked about in the last podcast, which is the problem of optics. You know, what mm. does it look like to other people? You know, aren't you creating scandal by doing something that has the appearance of validating people's sins for them? Yeah. But let's just go back to the word mercy itself. Like, mercy assumes and presumes that there is a fault, a disorder, a wound, a brokenness. It assumes there's something that's not right, that's out of order, that needs to be put back in order. The, the very word mercy implies that. What we're not saying is we should come into people's lives and say things like, oh, you're good. It's fine. There's no, you know, no judgment on me. Go ahead and live the life that you want to live, you know. Right, that's right, all good. God right. loves you anyway. Yeah. That's not what we're saying. Nobody is saying that. But if I if I'm if if I build a relationship with someone and they become vulnerable with me, maybe it's a let's say it's a person who struggles with same sex attraction and is in a relationship mm-hmm. and I get to be friends with that person. Right. And and we and, and we begin to dig into that a little bit. I, I guarantee you what's gonna surface in that context, if I take the time and make the investment, is that, that person you're gonna find out that that person is really hurting inside. And, and it's that place of hurting hmm. where all their identity confusion and all of their orientations and all of these things are in crisis. Sure. You know, and there might be a whole lot of reasons which are totally outside the, the freedom of this person's own decisions. They could have been abused. They could have grown up in a, in a crazy hot place. Sure. They, they could have had a... There's a million different there's things. There's a million different reasons yeah. I could explain that. Right. You know, but but the but the bottom line is is that it it when that space then gets opened up and and the person knows and experiences the love that I have for them, and I reach into that place and I try to bring God's love into that place, and they find some healing or they find some reassurance or they find some encouragement, just in their most fundamental sense as a person and their dignity, mm. it opens up a, a freedom and a space for them to actually deal more honestly with their. Yeah, problem and their struggle and their mess, and you know, and I, I say that b- precisely because that was that was also my experience. Like I, when I was in my twenties, I was a hot mess. I was doing horrible things, mm. and it was friends, yeah, who who both walked with me and challenged me gently, the way yeah. the father tells Catherine. That's what opened up the possibility for me to deep do a deeper examination of my life, and to find in the context of community and communion. The ability to face my brokenness squarely and hand it over, tr- entrust it to God, and begin to seek the, the saving grace of the Lord's love yeah, and mercy yeah, in my life. Yeah. Because it was modeled for me by other people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I mean, shame on me years later to forget how it is that I changed. Mm. And to resort to this more kind of legalistic, yeah, you know, kind of judgy approach, yeah. um, because I forgot, so I le- forgot what what was done yeah, for me. Right. Let me dig into the optics thing just real quickly to throw out, not not really a hypothetical situation, but you know, it, say you have a let's say you have a friend that has same sex attraction in a relationship. And you're also, you have a family, you know, you have kids at home. And this this person, um, and this is kind of touching on a little bit of all these things, like, you know, um, judging, you know, when is it appropriate to judge or how, how do we judge something? Um, and let's say this person uh, wants to come to your house for dinner. And um, so you're, you're going through this process of discerning what, okay, what the, what's this going to look like to my children, right? That's kind of an optics thing, right? You're, you're judging, okay, there's the, object, the objectively sinful thing about being in this, you know, openly practicing homosexual relationship is one thing, right? Um, 
you're this person's friend, you love them, and um, you want them to know that, but your the optics to your children might be confusing to them. Like these people are coming over, we they know that they're not just friends, you know. They're and um, and so you know that that's like a discernment issue. I think well, this goes into the pastoral discernment that I think Pope Francis talks about that is throwing people into so much confusion. Like, well, if you leave it up to everybody to decide, then you're going to have the Father Martins of the world that are out there in first photo op, you know, doing things that look like he's blessing a marriage. But, you know, if it was just me and my wife and we didn't have children, you know, my discernment might be, yeah, come on over and and we'll have dinner together. And, you know, but I, I think what's hard is that the... And, you know, the neighbors might know this person. The neighbors might know that this person's in a relationship. They see him coming into my house. There's so many things about how things look, right, that you can't control. And it's like all you can control is your own level of discernment, you know, and, and how well and how um, prayerfully these things are discerned. And I think sometimes those things can blow up in your face. And not, you know, like, or sometimes they're, I, I'm not exactly sure what I'm saying, <laughs> but I'm saying there's a it's lot of, it's becoming evident with every a moment. Lot, well, right. No, I'm just I'm saying kidding. there's a lot of, these things are so, it just comes back to this idea that if we're serious about doing all of this stuff, if we're serious about reading, you know, reading the document and, and really take into prayer what Pope Francis is saying in that document. All of these things, how things look, how, you know, like, how are we being merciful? How are we, where's our state of judgment in this? It's not easy. Like, it is not easy to to take seriously the Christian life. <laughs> well, you're right. It isn't easy. And, and I think people and, want that, though. Yeah. I think that that's part of this pushback is that, like, yeah, they, they want, just want it to be simple and easy and black and white. And clean. And, yeah. and clean. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, discernment is the is the result of wisdom. You know, you can't be discerning if you're not a wise person. And you don't have wisdom if you don't have experience and you're not living the Christian life in a fully authentic way. But yeah, we are called to be discerning, and the church is called to be discerning. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, this is a directive aimed at clergy to give them some direction on how to handle certain kind of situations. And notice, you know, to the point you're making about optics, look, the, the document clearly forbids any public, formal, ceremonial type of thing that could lead to the wrong impression. These kind of blessings could only be given if the right conditions are met, okay, in a private, you know, kind of a sure. private setting, yeah. like, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, where it's, 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 it's sort of spontaneous, yeah. you know, and so it could be, you know, like they mentioned things like, you know, at a shrine, you know, maybe someone visits a shrine and an come airport. up to you and ask for a blessing, or maybe yeah. you're on a pilgrimage or right. something, or you're just out in public and someone comes up to you and asks for a blessing. It's not the place then and there to try to discern the state of a person's, you know, again, they might be objectively in the wrong place, but subjectively you have no idea and no ability to judge that. And you can discern what they're asking the blessing for. For, Right, exactly. (laughs) And the document, I think, states that if they're, you know, if they're seeking a blessing for their sinful lifestyle, you know. Now, I know some people say, well, if they come up to you as a couple and are asking for their blessing as a couple, are they not, in fact, doing that? You know, yeah, I mean, maybe they are, you know, maybe they are. But that that's a very, like, yeah. what are you risking? Right. You know, what would I do in that situation? Here's what I would do. It's not that hard to, to know what to do in that situation. I say, well, I'll tell you what, I can bless you but I can't, I can't, I can't bless a sexual, a homosexual sexual relationship. Right. So, you know, and I had, I had a very trivial example of something like this one time. I remember I was, I was buying lottery tickets years ago and trying to win the lottery. And I, I went up to my pastor and said, Father, Father, can you bless my lottery ticket? You know, and he's like, no, I cannot bless your lottery ticket, but I will give you a blessing. Yeah. And that's what he did. And, 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 and so in a moment, like if, if a person, you know, that could be anybody. That could be a person who's a drug addict. That could be a person sure. who's a prostitute. Right. That could be a person who's divorced and remarried, whatever. 
he said, well, I, 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 I am happy to bless you as a person because God loves you. But, you know, just to be clear, if there's any lack of clarity in this sure. situation, if there's any potential for confusion to say, but I, I can't bless, you know, yeah. this, this, uh, this, this sexual relationship that the two of you have, you know, that would be perfectly appropriate to do. I just feel like do. there's so many easy ways to do that. Yeah. I don't, it's, you know, um, so at any rate, I mean, you know, I, I think the optics, the optics thing is, is always going to be a, a, a challenging and difficult point because we do have to be discerning about when we really are responsible for causing scandal sure. and when we're not. Right. And, uh, and, you know, if Pope Francis didn't mention anything in this document about the church's traditional teaching on marriage, I would say, well, that is a huge problem. Yeah. But he does. I mean, he leads with that message. And he's trying to put our attention on something different. And I think that that difference is important. Yeah. So, you know, I, we probably got to wrap here, but just to kind of like summarize, you know, I, I just, I, we, we try to tackle the distinction between the objective character of sin and the subjective culpability of Check. sin. Check. Okay. We, we, we talked about making moral judgments versus judging the culpability of a mm-hmm. person. Check. We talked about the relationship between mercy and sin. Mm-hmm. Check. Okay. We talked about the relationship between mercy and justice. Sure did. Yep. And we talked about the optics uh, wow. of all of this. So we covered a lot of ground. We hope that listeners, that you that you find these distinctions helpful in, first of all, understanding how the church understands these things, but also hopefully it'll be helpful in your own discernment when you find yourself in a situation where you might not know what to do. Yeah. So. It's good. Way to go, teacher. That was good. <laughs> yeah, You look like you're spent, like you're ready to take a two-hour nap. I, I, I think I am. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, thanks for letting me uh, uh, be the teacher today. Scott. Of course. Of course. Until next time. Yeah. All right. All right. The Wise Guys Podcast is a production of Preambule Group, a Catholic ministry dedicated to helping you thrive in the heart of Jesus. Visit us on the web at preambula.org and follow us on social media.